Are you ready to take your business to the next level? Every day, there are countless books and articles that are published offering the key on how to make your business a success. It's easy to feel overwhelmed trying to keep up and run your business. That's why Deb Creer created the Business Power Hour. Keep up on the latest trends, best practices, and techniques for how to make your business a success. Let the Business Power Hour do the heavy work for you. Good morning, good morning. I am Deb Creer, and I am passionate about giving professionals the tools that they need to make themselves and their businesses as successful as possible. And we're going to have a great program today, and it's really great that this program is at the start of a new year because we're going to be talking about a lot of things that are new. Um, you know, and, and so please join me in welcoming Dr. Joel Bryant to our program today. Welcome, Joel. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for having me on today. I'm glad to be here. Great. Well, let me tell people a little bit about you, and then we will dive into this. A former award-winning corporate trainer and university lecturer, Joel Bryant is the author of numerous books. I think I saw 55, something like that. Each of these books examines the themes of change, growth, and greatness. He holds a doctorate in educational leadership from the University of North Carolina at Charlotte, where he spent five years teaching in the philosophy department. And we're really going to be talking about his new book, which is called The New Being, Preparing for the Emergence of a New Humanity. But before then, Dr. Joel, tell us a little bit about yourself and how it is that you got to where you are today. Oh, I sometimes wonder how I got to where I am today. It's, it's, been, a, it's been an evolution. It's extremely, um, it's truly been a journey. I mean, I began my career in sales as a young person and I really loved sales and I was good at sales and I got a lot of juice from sales. And then, and then I sort of got burnt out. So I get the training and uh, my last position was done in Bradstreet. Um, and actually I left when I was there, I just got decided I wanted to be a writer. Mm-hmm. I was People improve their performance and show them how to achieve goals and dreams. And I didn't understand what I called at that time the collective mediocrity that exists in corporate America, you know, and the people that didn't have the um, tenacity to push through their own resistance. Mm -hmm. And so I learned. And so from that, I just started writing about, you know, human potential and people's attitude. What 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 does it take to change, to grow and to achieve greatness? Mm -hmm. So I've kind of fell into academia um, at a, about the age of 45 or 50. Mm-hmm. Uh, haven't looked back since. Great. I love it. Well, you know, it's, I think it is very fitting that here at the first of a new year, we're talking about new, about advancing yourself, about being great. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's not that we're making New Year's revol- revolutions, resolutions, mm-hmm. um, because those last till, you know, like. January 20th, I think, uh-huh. something like that. Uh-huh. We want to talk about how it is that we really make changes. And, and so I mentioned that your book is called The New Being, Preparing for the Emergence of a New Humanity. So what is the new being? What do you even mean by that? A radical shift in human consciousness. Okay. And when I say radical, I don't mean the conventional definition. The word, when people hear the word radical, they think unconventional, extreme. Mm-hmm. The word radical means root. Mm. A root shift, okay, shift that touches us in ways that causes us to have um, a literally t- 
totally new outlook on life. Okay. Kind of that aha moment. Right. And, but, it, but the thing about it is it becomes a sustained atmosphere that you live in. It's okay. not circumstantial. It can begin mm-hmm. circumstantial, but it becomes dispositional. Mm. It becomes who I am. Mm-hmm. Not an affirmation that I make. Mm-hmm. It's not something that I have even behaviors that are designed to sustain it. It is. I've had, I had, I've had experiences that are so visceral and so vital that I have become a completely different person and I experience those changes daily, incrementally. Mm-hmm. And so the new being is an individual who is, who aligns himself or herself with that new outlook. Mm-hmm. You wake up one day and say, I'm, I'm not doing this anymore. Mm-hmm. And you didn't wake up today and said, you've, you've been saying it over time. Right. Feel the equity in yourself to make the decision mm-hmm. and then act on that. And, and so you're going to see more of that. The resignation is only the beginning of a global shift in consciousness. It's not just America. Mm-hmm. It's not just in business. Mm-hmm. This is going to happen in every system that people function in. Mm-hmm. And so as entrepreneurs, as business owners, we're going to have to begin to get a new approach to our business a new approach to how we deal with people. Mm-hmm. And the biggest, I think one of the biggest things that um, facilitates success and frustrates success is a lack of what we call soft skills. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell you something. Most people are better dealing with other people mm-hmm. than y'all with themselves. Mm-hmm. Right. We, we, because- we're scared to, to, confront ourselves to, to, you know, to have those deep conversations. And, and, you know, there, there's obviously several things that, you know, that, that play into it, you know, business, your book also talks about religion, race, race, politics. I mean, you know, those, those are pretty scary subjects. Yeah. But it's the inability to, to have those kind of conversations <laughs> in a healthy way that keeps us having conversations mm-hmm. and it keeps us living in echo chambers. Mm-hmm. Biggest problem with corporate America and certain and corporations and, and, and any organization has to watch this. They have to watch out for the danger, what I call the danger of ecosystems. You know, all of us believe alike. In social psychology, they call it homophily. You know, mm-hmm. we those who are like us. It's not even racism or sexism. Right. It's just like us. Mm-hmm. In, in business, level, it's kind of that this is the way we've always done it, philosophy. Right. Mm-hmm. And what that does is you unconsciously create an echo chamber where there's no diversity of ideas, diversity mm-hmm. of approaches. There's no innovation. Mm-hmm. You know, see, successful companies, as we already know this, they have the ability to disrupt themselves while they're succeeding, not just when they're failing. They ask ultimate questions and they give intermediate answers. And if we, if we don't, and to the extent that we do that as a business owner and as an individual, going to be afraid and we're going to be uncomfortable mm-hmm. with confronting the new paradigms. Mm-hmm. I said right there, mm-hmm. new demands. And I think everybody listening would agree mm-hmm. with the pandemic and the inflation and political unrest around the world. We have new demands. Mm-hmm. So I said this way, new demands open new dimensions in human nature. Mm-hmm. We have not exhausted the human potential. You don't say there's nothing new under the sun. Yes, there is. Right. In the soul, mm-hmm. something new under the sun, because life always gives us a supply to meet whatever demand we're facing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we got to change our narratives. Mm-hmm. We got to change the stories that we're living out of about human nature being incorrigible and it's 
You can't teach an old dog new tricks. Yes, you can. You're just not a good trainer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that. Mm-hmm. So that's what it's about in a in a in an abbreviated uh, explanation or description. Right. right. You know, and and businesses, obviously, you know that that's the, primarily what we talk about. You know, you've got the business owner, the business founder who had great idea A. You know, mm-hmm. and and we must do everything great idea A, and they get threatened if you say. Eh. But what about B? What about C, D, E? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and of course, the truly great businesses and business leaders are the people who say, I want to know what you're thinking about X, Y, and Z. So, you know, they, they encourage people to, you know, I, I hate to use this phrase because we use it a lot. Think outside the box. Um, well, but the truly great businesses don't have a box. Well, what they do is they liquidate people's potential. Great leaders call forth other people's greatness. Mm-hmm. You know, the problem that I had with when I was working corporate in the, the last position I left is they didn't demand greatness of me. When I left, when I left, you know, very big corporation done in Bradstreet back in the day, I was one of only 37 thousand people worldwide, 61 people they selected out of all the people worldwide, the best of the best. Mm-hmm. And that's something, Deb. I literally worked, you know, of course, in the office back then. I literally worked physically three hours a day. Ah. I sold so much that they were, you know, telling me, Joel, they're listening to your phone calls. They're going back and verifying. And then they're saying, you only have no phone three hours a day. Mm-hmm. In sales, the other five hours I was reading, I was doing, because the, the, the position did not actualize. Of course, no job can actualize your full potential, but it didn't call forth the abilities that I had that could have served the company. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I will say that one, uh, one guy, he did, he hired a new vice president, a guy named Mark Wilson, who has since gone on to be a multimillionaire businessman. He came in and he took a mediocre office, a mediocre region. Mm-hmm. And we became the Chicago Bulls or the Golden State. I mean, we dominated because why? He said, Joel, he let me do things that was not in my job description. And so business leaders, whether you live in a corporation or just a, a two-man operation, mm-hmm. ask yourself, am I calling forth this person's greatness? Mm-hmm. Or ask that of yourself, as, as we've right. been saying. Mm-hmm. So that's what you have to do. I mean, this one of my favorite thinkers said this. He says that we lack someone. And he says we fail because we lack someone in our lives who will demand greatness of us. Mm-hmm. You ask yourself, yeah, you have a mentor, you have a teacher, but who in your life have you given permission to demand to the point where it don't even seem fair. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Who lives under the intention mm-hmm. at intention? Mm-hmm. Right. That's a very small people. We can see them on TV because they have a standard that cannot be straddled. Right. You know, and, and it's, it's easy to just do the status quo. To mm-hmm. not, you know, and, and because we've mentioned, you know, it's scary to be thinking, you know, about something different, whether it's a new product or new service, think about t- a new job. I mean, you know, you mentioned the great resignation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I think, and, and before the program started, we were talking about the pandemic and how in many, you know, obviously horrible, awful things came of it, but mm-hmm. also so many good things came of it. And I think one of the big things was that, People took a step back, you know, and and I had to laugh, you know, when we first started this, right? You know, it's been almost two years. Mm-hmm. Holy schmoly, right? 
Mm-hmm. And they said, two weeks, we're just going to shut down for two weeks. And I think we all went, yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, we just knew it wasn't going to do that. But, you know, in the extended period of time, and obviously it depends on what you're doing. I mean, many people are are shut down. P- people are shut down again, um, mm-hmm. you know, because of the, the new variant. But it's given people the opportunity to think, what do I want to do with my life? And I think that is part of the great resignation. But I think it's also... You're giving people the chance to say, hey, I like this company. I like what I am. How can I make it and me greater in this? Yeah, I think, you know, I think from a perspective of individual perspective, I think every person has a meaningful life. Mm -hmm. Everybody's life has meaning, but everybody's life is not meaningful to that person in Mm -hmm. a way that matters. And I think the people that have meaningful lives who make a difference, they ask themselves two questions. Who am I? And then who do I want to be? And they live in the tension of that question. Mm-hmm. Those two questions. So what kind of company do we want to be? Mm-hmm. In the marketplace. And then what kind of atmosphere we call culture. But what kind of atmosphere do I want to create? Mm-hmm. Well, do, are people at ease in my culture? When I walk into an office, you know, I can sense the, when the leader walks in, mm-hmm. you know, things. If I sense people tense up, I already know that leader mm-hmm. is Probably not liquidating to the extent he right. could, could that organizational potential. Mm-hmm. Because great leaders elicit ideas. Mm-hmm. Leaders should be bombarded with ideas. Mm-hmm. So, having, hey, hold on, listen, guys, we're, we're about 20 years out now. Like you just said about your guest list, guys, mm-hmm. we're 20 years out. So, let's hold those. Mm-hmm. Why? You're giving people permission mm-hmm. to contribute to the mission in a way that does not just confined to that job description. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, you you got to have that, but I'm just saying, and this so people now are realizing through reflection, through introspection, circumstantially, that you know what? Yes, I like this company. Mm-hmm. And what is going to take for me to stay here and commit and contribute at a level that will drive them forward and mm-hmm. grow? Mm-hmm. And to the extent that we as leaders ask that of ourselves, because if I'm not leading myself, growing mm-hmm. i'm just leading down mm-hmm. you know i'm going out and learning from other leaders for my people mm-hmm. but i'm growing mm-hmm. and i said this way good leaders appear finished great leaders are polished mm-hmm. see you polish you know you get a little bubble gum i say bubble gum doctor degree right even though i had to work hard to get it but you get a terminal degree. Mm-hmm. Terminal meaning the end. You can't go any higher than the doctorate. Right. You got that piece of paper, you're it's, done. It's, it's mm-hmm. terminal. But I may be polished in that area, but I'm not finished. Mm-hmm. So if I learn anything, I'm learning a job. Mm-hmm. I'm for, my, my, for my next client, I'm still trying to grow, change, and evolve and achieve greatness as I see it. Mm-hmm. So too many leaders... Because they think leadership means that I have all the answers. Sometimes leaders don't only not have all the answers, they don't even know the questions. Mm-hmm. They just say, hey, what, what should we be talking about? Mm-hmm. They don't come in with a subset of polarities of saying we're gonna, I mean, you know, you gotta have that to some extent when you do you your man. I'm saying when you're talking about in this atmosphere mm-hmm. of dynamic change, mm-hmm. certainty, instability, volatility. You've got to begin to hold the kind of meetings where you say, 
what do we need to be talking about? You don't have an agenda. The agenda is the future. Mm -hmm. The agenda is the future. Mm -hmm. So what should we be talking about right now? Mm -hmm. It will come around to something practical, problem solving, but that's how I see it. Right. You know, and and the pandemic did make a lot of this happen because things had to change. Um, you know, and and I mean, there were people were in their offices on Friday, and not mm-hmm. in their offices on that Monday. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it was just this 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 shift. And yes, there for a while we did think, okay, this is temporary. We don't really have to worry about this. But then it became very clear that it was long term, and things were definitely going to change. And I think that's where. We saw the the big difference between leaders and managers. The managers are incredibly nervous still, even after you know almost two years, because they can't look over their employees' shoulders and see what they're doing. Um, you know, when this when it first started, I mean, there were companies where were you know counting keystrokes on their you know and 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 making them check in at certain times and and all of these things. And the leaders said, tell us what to do so that you can get your job done. And, you know, maybe that was, you know, I'm a night owl. I'm, you know, I'll be there for your 9 a.m. meeting, but I'm going to work at 11 o'clock at night. Or, you know, I might work from the beach, right? You know, as long as Mm -hmm. I have internet. And and the leaders were able to, and and still are able to go, okay, how can we switch and and make this change? And, and, um, you know, I think... The companies that again went, oh, you know, we're we're gonna go back in at some point. Nah, I mean, you know, we're we're it, life as we knew it in a business environment two years ago is not happening again. Doesn't matter. Yeah. It's just not think- gonna happen again. Um, you know, whether it's hybrid, whether it's work from home, whether it's you know all of the, the all of the above or none of the above, things are changed, and the leaders recognize it. And more importantly, the leaders go, okay, these are good employees. How do I keep them? You know, especially right. when they're home and, and all of those, because I know that's, that's tricky for people, you know, they're home, they're distracted. You know, they might have the kids at home. I mean, you know, all sorts of things. So what do we do as leaders to make sure that A, they feel valued and B, they feel that they are making contributions. I mean, I think that's that's you know kind of the, the biggest part of it. I think I think in many ways you described the, the leadership and management and what results from that. And I think even at a more basic level, mm-hmm. what we think about human nature. Mm-hmm. Give them an inch, they'll take a mile. Right. You know, this is what we say about you've got to watch them. So our cultures, when I look at things, our our corporate cultures are an indication and an expression of what we believe about people at base. Because right. if we believe that if we have a good hiring process, we go that, you know, that, you know, based upon our company, then what do I believe about people? If, you know, I tell, when I was working, I tell them, I, I mean, I, you know, I was a little different as lucky I was able to get a job because I tell my boss, I said, listen, give me a block of work and then don't bother me. I'll get it done. <laughs> yeah, you know, but if you believe that people have to be watched, mm-hmm. if you believe that people only, you know, if you whatever you believe, and see, it goes back to our belief about human nature. Mm-hmm. Let's think about our, our society. Mm-hmm. We live in a very prohibitive society where we have to be under surveillance 24 hours a day. And I'm not saying that people won't goof off and people won't do right. what. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, if I believe, and, and 
If I believe in, in the goodness of people's ability to do jobs, then you know what? Just that, I'm not going to watch them. I'm not going to micromanage. Mm-hmm. So I think successful companies and successful leaders in this new millennium, and I don't mean the turn of the clock, mm-hmm. shift of consciousness. Mm-hmm. Because, and so if we don't change our narratives about what we believe about people's capacity, what we believe about people's goodwill, because if you micromanaging, and you want people there every day, and we see we don't have to be there. You don't believe in the goodwill of people, and you have no equity with them. And the more they can go and do something different, they're going to do it. Because why? You have not earned goodwill, even on a balance sheet. Mm-hmm. If you have a balance sheet, you know this, Deb. There's a category called goodwill. Mm-hmm. It could be anything that's an asset. Mm-hmm. So just knowing that people knowing that you trust them. Mm-hmm. That's an asset. Right. So I just think that managers who want to be more effective are going to have to work with their own belief system. Right. It's not people. It's us. Mm -hmm. We receive people. Mm -hmm. And it's hard because you don't want to be the Pollyanna. You know, that, you know, but you also don't want to be chicken little. You know, the sky is not falling all the time. And, And so there's that that middle and, you know, it's, I had somebody, I was, I was talking to, to somebody who he was a micromanager and this whole, you know, work from home thing was driving him nuts because he could not directly supervise what people were doing. And, and I said, did you trust them when they were in the office? And he kind of looked at me and I said, if you didn't trust them in the office, that's a very different problem because if they weren't trustworthy in the office, they shouldn't have been there. Um, you know, if, if you had to micromanage them, then they, you know, something was was desperately wrong. But if you trusted them in the office, then you should trust them in their home office or you know beach. Yeah, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, you know, and 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 obviously, I mean, you know, we all get burned. You know, we've we've all had you know that the employees that even if you're looking over their shoulder you know, are, are, are going to do things, but yeah, yeah, it's that basic it. trust. And, and that mm-hmm. is very hard for some people. Well, and it, but I think trust says a lot about us. Mm-hmm. Not, right. see, yeah, are we, are, are we not trusting them because we wouldn't do it? We've got to get away from this sort of polarity thinking either or it's not pie in the sky or, you know, gloom and doom. First of all, we have the right metrics. They're going to manage people. Right. You check those. You don't have to check other actions every day. You know, if you came to my desk, you know, early in the morning, I'm just getting there at eight o'clock. I showed up at eight fifteen. I got newspapers, a couple of magazines, and some snacks. And you look at my numbers at nine o'clock. There, I haven't even signed in yet. Right. Uh-huh. But then you check it an hour and a half later uh-huh. through for the month uh-huh. because you trusted me and you didn't you didn't bother me to about working right there. So now I owe you. Now my job, but excellence. Mm-hmm. I know everybody doesn't have that perspective, but you start thinking, what do I believe about people? Then why do I believe that? Because beliefs didn't just happen. They came from somewhere. Mm-hmm. Where did you work at? What experiences did you have to say that told you implicitly or explicitly that you cannot trust people unless you can see them? Mm-hmm. Right. And to agree that we as leaders practice radical self-questioning, mm-hmm. ask myself, why do I do what I do? Why do I believe that? And then here's the hard part. This is where change comes. 
existing and the discomfort of earning, letting you earn my trust. You know, it's like, do you give the ball to the tried and true injured veteran mm-hmm. or to the new rookie? Mm-hmm. He's not proven. And something really important. Well, see, most decisions are not that important, number one. That was a problem with the terrorists when we had the Patriot Act. And they said, oh, well, if you got a ticking time bomb, should you not torture? Well, most things are not that not that extreme. Right, right. So let's not use examples that very something happened in real life. Right. Most are moderate and intermediate. So then if this person who I'm trusting doesn't come through, what's the worst that's going to happen? In right. this- yeah. And, I and, think, and usually, like you said, the world did not end. Nothing happens. I mean, so I, I mean, I just say from the people that the leaders that I try to coach, I try to get them to build equity in themselves with their own, see with your own anxiety. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, you're waiting on the call and it's like, and you know how you, something really important. No, and you, we don't like that feeling. So we just take the ball and we call. And say, and, no, sit with that discomfort. See with that ambiguity, because that is going to be a turning point in your leadership. And then when people experience your leadership, you're going to gain trust. And when you gain people's trust, and I saw it, mm-hmm. so, uh, I saw leaders that managed mm-hmm. and Mark Wilson came in and he began to lead. Mm-hmm. And it was the same people. Mm-hmm. How can a coach take a same team, basically, one or two modifications and they go to the bowl game next year. Mm-hmm. Last year, they were, you know, one in 12. Mm-hmm. Because that coach created an atmosphere and a climate and a culture that supported people's strengths and it earned their trust. And they would do anything for that leader or mm-hmm. that coach. Right, right. And, and okay, so I'm a big college sports fan too. So I'm getting all this analogy. Um, you know, it, it really is, you know, having that trust. Um, and I think a big part of it is, you know, uh, it's, uh, and I think sometimes it, it is, you know, I'm thinking, well, you know, I would screw around if I was home working. Therefore, my employees would do it mm-hmm. too. Um, you know, and, and so there's, there is that self-questioning thing. Um, and yeah, you know, like I said, we've all, you know, had somebody that has, has done it and we've gotten burned. But I think what we need to, to look at is exactly what you're saying. What happened? You know, if, if, if project, you know, X didn't get done the way it was supposed to. Why? You know, and and then you you figure that out. Did I not give them the right information? Did they not have the right skill set? Um, you know, it's very very rarely. You know, probably an infinitesimal amount of time was it a deliberate failure. You know, people mm-hmm. they, that's just not what they want to do. I mean, and and again, if if that is, then that's a totally different problem. They wanted to do it right. And if it didn't happen, why not? And how do we fix it? Exactly. And I think, you know, I think trust is something that takes time. And so if I've got a person that I don't think about the new hires. So you have an office that you trust or didn't trust. Let's say you trust them. So now you knew them. You had some working relationships. So they're home. You sort of kind of know them. But now you got new hires. Mm -hmm. So that, right, and you're like, I know nothing about these people. I'm going to show you what you believe about people. Mm-hmm. And people have a way of, I, I'm like this. You said you would probably goof off. I, if I, when I work from home, I just did a project. Man, I spent half the day doing nothing. Mm-hmm. And they but you it. got the project done. They're like, Joel, you're not, where's your camera? Mm-hmm. 
it, it'll be on in a minute. But at the end of the day, my numbers were phenomenal. And I was my teammates. Now, does everybody work that way? No, but will every the, so if you if your hiring process is in place mm-hmm. and you have a, a good process of screening people, mm-hmm. then I would not hire an untrustworthy person. Right. Yeah, you just shouldn't have them there to start with. I don't have time to manage anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm going to hire those people who have a track record of finishing, of doing what they said. Mm-hmm. Trust, a lot has to go do with your screening process. Mm-hmm. If you didn't screen in the end, you have to micromanage in the middle. You got to screen in the beginning. Right. You do that. Mm-hmm. People have a conscience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I said, they don't deliberately want to do bad. They don't, and they don't want to feel bad and they'll stay up a few hours late to get it done. Mm-hmm. Still goes back to what is it that I believe? Mm-hmm. How do I believe this? Mm-hmm. You know, in if, and how is this belief affecting mm-hmm. my mind? Mm-hmm. Because, and, and it's the same thing. We see it in personal relationships. We see it in, we see it in all the spectrums where human beings gather as groups with a common objective mm-hmm. to the degree that that leader has earned that person's trust mm-hmm. trust him or herself mm-hmm. and has these um processes in place and procedures in place to manage you know support behaviors mm-hmm. they end up achieving their goals on a consistent basis mm-hmm. and people speak well of that leader mm-hmm. they will go the extra mile mm-hmm. micromanaging person who believes that people will cheat every chance they get or to underperform, mm-hmm. get just enough, you, you're going to get what you paid them to do. Right. You're going to do, yeah, the, and nothing extra. I mean, they, you're not going to get anybody saying, hey, you know, can I do a little extra work? Because they're like, nah, uh Or, hey, I came up with this. I mean, ask yourself as a leader, in, in the space of a month, let's say three months, how many good ideas did you get unsolicited? Or how many ideas? That's not qualified. But how many ideas did somebody bring you unsolicited that was designed to move the company forward, right. or move the project forward? Mm-hmm. And that says a lot about the atmosphere. Right. Because there's an atmosphere or there's a culture. Mm-hmm. There's a subculture. Mm-hmm. And the subculture, like the subconscious, drives life. Yeah, you can. I see all the stuff on the wall about how we treat everybody's valuable and all this stuff. Yeah, but the mission statement. Yeah, uh-huh. every culture got a subculture, and I know when I was, you know, in the, in the position I was telling you about, this meant we go in probably two times a week with new ideas. Mark, we should do this. We should do that. He listened. He say sometimes say, okay, I'll think about it. Say no, that's not going to work. But he hurt. But it didn't kill our enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. And and I'm saying so when I look at leaders. When I look at life, because it's not just about leaders. When we say leaders, that creates a very defined and specific characterization that we're all leaders. Mm-hmm. Nobody's following us. Right. Nothing. I'm leading myself. So I ask myself, Joel, why do you think that? Mm-hmm. Why are you having this experience? Mm-hmm. When I do business, there are certain companies that I feel good about doing that. I don't worry about my money. I swipe my card, go online. I trust their return policy, but other people, no, mm-hmm. they're big, mm-hmm. too much of a hassle. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's always asking yourself as a leader, as a human being, 
how do I get, because this is really, this is the mantra of, of great leaders in my perspective. How do I get better at getting better? Hmm. Not trying to get there. I don't have a terminal disease. I'm trying to get to the end of a thing. How do I, as a human, and forget leader, because look at me, I look at myself, I'm a human, I'm not a leader. I'm not a writer. I'm not an educator, although that stuff is on my little, you know, my dossier. Mm-hmm. I'm a human being. So how do I get better mm-hmm. in human? Mm-hmm. This is what I ask myself every day, Joel. I'm not the best human I could be. Mm-hmm. I haven't actualized all the potentials of human nature. I haven't actualized all my dormant endowments, mm-hmm. my dormant dimensions, mm-hmm. things that life or circumstances have not called for yet. So I, and I don't wait for circumstances. Mm-hmm. Leaders create conditions that call forth their latent greatness. Mm-hmm. That's how you, de- so how do we as leaders, since business people, how do we get better, mm-hmm. getting better? Right. That's the question. Well, and we have to remember that it's not huge leaps. You know, sometimes it's a, it's a bunch of little things. I mean, you know, yeah, it'd be great if we had a lot of Mother Teresa's. And, you know, and, and things like that. But sometimes it's just, you know, did you did you say thank you to the person at the grocery store? Did you did you put your foot out and stop the elevator door so that somebody, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. just those little things are what it it all ties in. You know, and, and we see that in people when we see the rude people, they're mm-hmm. rude in every aspect. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, they, they do let the door slam, you know, all of those various things. But the people who are consistently doing the little things, then they also do the big things. Exactly. And I'll say it this way, in the context of business and in context of growing revenue, growing market share and all the things that people care about. And we talk about leaps mm-hmm. and that wants a quantum leap. And I said this way, all leaps are quantum. Mm-hmm. Rest is just adaptation and construction. You made the leap. Now build the structure to support the leap. Mm-hmm. There are no small steps. All steps are small steps. I mean, as a, as I was talking to someone today before I came on, I was talking about writing books and, you know, I, whatever I do, all these books. But when I first started writing, I wasn't trying to write a book. That was beyond my, my I couldn't do that. I didn't know anybody who had written a book, but I said, I'm going to keep a journal to write today. I can, be, I can be faithful today in this writing my thoughts. And then one journal that they actually made me keep and I started uh, pursuing my uh, education at 40 years old, getting my BA, they made us keep a journal. Hmm. And that journal mm-hmm. turned into probably 50 something published books, mm-hmm. 25 finished on my flash drive in my pocket because I made the leap to be a writer. The rest was adaptation, mm-hmm. create another income stream when I didn't have my job. Mm-hmm. So downsizing my lifestyle to support my pursuit of writing. So it's adaptation and, and then building systems. Because when you see, when you're trying to get a quantum leap in the conventional sense, and this guy from Syria explained it to me beautifully. He came to me out. So he said, Joel, he said, I've observed this about your country. I said, what? He said, the average person, he used a baseball metaphor. He said, they go to the plate and every pitch they're trying to get a home run. Right. Mm-hmm. We're going to hit it as hard as we can, as far as we can. Exactly. You said the other people, they stand there and sometimes they'll just take a walk. Mm-hmm. Because why? They don't, they're not in a hurry to get there. Yep. Or they and, might make a sacrifice fly. Right. They so let somebody right. else be successful. 
they move, they move the mission forward. And when we go by social media, if you look at social media, everybody, everybody is somebody. Everybody. Oh, yeah. And trying to one up, right? Mm-hmm. So, so I think as a, for me, I understand as a leader, and when I try to get because part about leadership is, and you know this is how do you handle pressure? How do you handle? How do you respond to pressure? And pressure is simply a measurement of the external demand and your internal ability to supply. And if my internal ability to supply is less than the demand, then that's more pressure. Right. Mm-hmm. And so for someone who, you know, I, like I used to love basketball. I mean, I, I was addicted to playing basketball and I thought I was pretty good, even just like, you know, neighborhood. But I watched pros and I'm thinking if I'm at that free throw line, especially college, if I'm at that free throw line and all of these people are doing this, waving this, not only am I going to miss the shot, mm-hmm. I'm going to miss the golden because I have not trained to be in that kind of pressure mm-hmm. with all those people screaming against me in, in an opponent's stadium. Mm-hmm. But you put me in another place, in another arena where I've trained myself to possess my soul. And there's no pressure that you can put on me in my spot that I will feel. Mm-hmm. Right. So leaders, put yourself under pressure. Through the goals you set, mm-hmm. I'm going to trust this person to do this particular assignment, mm-hmm. and I exist in the ambiguity and the and the uncertainty of their performance because I want them to grow because I'm going to need them later on in this. You know, you know, it's like it's like the sports metaphor. Right. We don't do that as leaders. Mm-hmm. We don't do that as we don't do that as human beings. And when you separate your leadership from your life, like my thing is this: I love what I call existential leadership. I am affected, and this is one of our politicians won't go there though. I am affected by the decisions that I make, mm-hmm. just in the polls. Mm-hmm. I mean, my life is affected. Mm-hmm. They have performance bonuses. All all bonuses, all pay should be for performance. Because mm-hmm. when you are affected by your decisions at a very personal level, you make a different decision. Right. Oh yeah. Differently. So that's how I look at it. We should become existential leaders. Mm-hmm. You know, and we have to, you know, we, you, you mentioned, you know, sports and things. I mean, I think, you know, the, the, I think too many times we see people thinking unrealistic. I mean, you know, they're, they're, they're going to make $5 million in the next year. You know, the, probably not in the next 20, maybe, mm-hmm. um, you know, you know, I, I'm, I'm a Denver Bronco person, you know, I'm, I'm from Colorado, you okay. know. Peyton Manning and John Elway. I mean, that's mm-hmm. pretty much, you know, and, and, but I always loved it when you'd watch, you know, young boys, I'm going to be the next John Elway. I'm going to be the next Peyton Manning, but they did it in a way where it kept them moving forward, but not unrealistically, you know, because if, if something went wrong, they went, okay, well, what do I need to do to adjust? Well, Hey, maybe I'm not a quarterback. <laughs> it might be one of the things or, Maybe I'm a swimmer or, you know, or maybe I'm, you know, like me, I'm just not athletic. Um, mm-hmm. But, but yeah, it's that, you know, setting those goals. And, and it's funny from a marketing perspective, one of the things that, that we were always taught was to have BHAGs, big, hairy, audacious goals. Mm-hmm. And those are the, I'm going to make $5 million by the end of 2022. You know, 
if it's it, the, the problem is when they're so unrealistic and you can't meet them, then you, you beat yourself up really bad. Well, um, and you're going to look just, for any excuse to not do it, right? Well, it wasn't my fault. It wasn't my fault. <laughs> well, you, you say you have that goal and that's a huge quantum leap. Then ask yourself, have you adapted the structures right. that will support To that? do it. Mm-hmm. If you haven't, mm-hmm. then maybe $10 million. And then why 20 Like where that figure? Because I think a lot of what we've seen in, so, in, in, our, in business today is driven by social media metrics, mm-hmm. driven right. by people being um, disingenuous in their transparency. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody's not crushing it. Right. Some people are just surviving. A lot of people are just surviving. Yeah, just So how do we have conversations say, you know what, dude? Yeah, I've got this nice profile on LinkedIn. I've got this nice marquee, you know, but I'm about two customers out. Mm-hmm. You know, I, need, I need them to pay today. And it's like, well, me too. You know, and because here again, Ways as leaders, we can take the pressure off of ourselves and be super. Mm-hmm. See, quarterbacks are great people. They are good in the moment. Mm-hmm. And then I like the way this one guy said basketball. And he had missed like 15, 20 shots in the entire game. This is like a real game, I think, the, for the NBA title a few years ago. Shane, mm-hmm. I think Shane Battier. And but when it came down to the last two or three seconds, he hit a shot. And the interview, Lawrence Brooks said, Shane, you were struggling. He said, yeah, but it's more important to be timely than good. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we have to modify because if it was up to me, I would have been there mm-hmm. 25 years ago. I did not plan on being here at this age, at this stage. Mm-hmm. When, I, when I sat down as a child, I said, I'm going to be this. And when I look at where I am, it is so far from. I know. I'm like, oh. And we had a lot of that discussion over the holidays, right? With the younger, younger exactly. people there. Now, what are, what are you doing? What are you studying? And, and those that were really smart went, I don't know. <laughs> and it wasn't that they didn't have goals and dreams and aspirations. It was, you know, I'm, I'm, I am being realistic about it. And especially when you're young, it's like, you know, I, you know, somebody who's 18 now, granted, I have interviewed some people on this program who are 18, 19, 20 years old, who are hitting the home runs. I mean, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I'm, I'm still trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's, it, it is about being realistic for yourself and, and figuring, okay, how do I get from A to B to C to D? And I think, I think, you know, that question you know, what, you know, it goes back to who am I, who do I want to be? And it goes back to internalizing that question and then creating conditions that will allow me to get, because see, for me, getting, being realistic, and I agree with what you're saying, but the realism today, to some extent, and I say the realism that you and I probably grew up under, it was don't dream too big. Right. There, there are you special, don't want to be disappointed. Yeah, there are special people and you don't have the right side of the track and you don't have the degree. Like, no, I'm going to tell you something. The age that we live in, mm-hmm. you are living in the age of the impossibility. Mm-hmm. There is nothing that can't be done. This is what I believe. Mm-hmm. Because I study history. History is a chronicle of the impossible. Mm-hmm. Right. Good and bad. Mm-hmm. But when you hear being realistic, the connotation and the and the and, and the implication is, like you said, and 
who I mean, yeah, I was gonna say was disappointment killers kill a lot of people, but I mean, part of this is this as a leader, you have to have an extreme degree of emotional maturity. They right. say emotional intelligence, you gotta be most you gotta be solid emotionally. Because if you don't, if you don't have that ability to just to, to, to absorb failure, mm-hmm. absorb setbacks, absorb disappointment, absorb missed goals, and still have your optimism. Mm-hmm. I was saying today, I meet people who are 35, which I think is young. Mm-hmm. Four, young. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And, and I'm thinking, who gave you permission to quit? I believe this. This is little whatever. I believe that anybody under 50 ought to need congressional approval to give up on their dreams. Mm-hmm. You have not lost enough to give up. Mm-hmm. You have not given up enough to give up. Mm-hmm. So is with that mindset that yes, you know, great leaders are great failures. Mm-hmm. Great right. businesses, it's the ability to re- to respond, not back because it's the ability to respond to the demand of the moment that makes or breaks great leaders and great companies and to the degree that I invest in getting better at getting better not just when I go to a workshop not when I go to a retreat when I'm sitting here by myself and I'm thinking Joel how can you get better and then I have an environment around me I'm lucky fortunate I made choices, create an environment around me that supports my ability to get better. And when I'm not getting better, guess what, Deb? I'm not going backwards because my environment won't support that. Mm -hmm. That's what leaders have to do, particularly today. And and of course, you know, we we hear this all the time. Leaders don't make excuses. Um, You know, I was talking to somebody during the pandemic and they said, well, I'm having so much trouble because I don't have internet. Wine, 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 wine. Um, and I said, you know, and actually it was before the pandemic, because I said, there are a lot of places you can go where there is internet. If you don't have a computer, go to your library. I mean, you know, there's all these things, but she had already decided it wasn't possible, wasn't possible. And so any option was not going to be an option that she took, um, you know, and, 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 you know, it's about the internal voices. You know, what are those little internal voices telling us? And you know, we've I've talked about this a lot on the program where we internalize those voices who, in many cases, wanted to protect us by saying, mm-hmm. oh, you know, girls aren't good at math, mm-hmm. or you know, really, you want to do that? No, you know, they were trying to protect us, and then that little voice got in there. But it it is, it's about paying attention to our own voices. And and saying, you know what, I can do this, um, you know, and 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 I think we do, we really do see that with the the, the big leaders. I mean, you know, back to, to football. I mean, you know, Aaron Rodgers the last couple months, and you know, he's he's definitely received a lot of criticism, well earned, yeah, maybe, mm-hmm. but for the most part, he's gone. You know what? Don't care. <laughs> you know? Because it, the voices, the voices reveal what they convey. Mm-hmm. And then reveal mm-hmm. what we believe about ourselves. Mm-hmm. Right. Because we all have hidden belief systems that mm-hmm. we don't have operating through. And these subset of beliefs and systems is what's driving our life. Mm-hmm. Conscious us is 
we didn't practice enlightened self-interest. We know how to be, we know how to be nice, but right. the unconscious of we have belief systems mm-hmm. about how far I'm a small business. Mm-hmm. Okay, what does that mean? You know, the reason that I don't, the reason I live in the city, this is my belief. The reason I live in the city, because I think people in small towns have small minds. That's my belief system because that's what I saw. Mm-hmm. When I told them my dream from the town that I'm from, they're like, you must be crazy. Mm-hmm. Nobody mm-hmm. does that. Nobody even says that. Mm-hmm. So my belief systems or my mindset is reflects my belief system mm-hmm. as a business owner. Mm-hmm. Do I believe that, you know, let's say, you know, the big guys, you know, the ones we see, are they bad for small business? I mean, I understand the rules, but why penalize somebody for being good? Mm-hmm. Like, why penalize a company because they can get, get your product from their right. house to your front door? Because they didn't start out that way. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I I don't believe in uh, completely hands free or lazy fair capitalism. But mm-hmm. I don't. Believe we need to be regulating human potential. Right. Let's create a climate. Yeah. Not and it's not a fair plan. Let's have fair laws. Never had a fair playing field. Mm-hmm. The laws fair, but the fields—I mean, the fields are different for a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I—I so, I had that discussion with somebody about Richard Branson and Elon Musk and how much they're spending on their space adventures. Right, <laughs> and I mean, and, and it's it's a lot of money. And yes, if they took that money, they could feed an awful lot of homeless people. They could do a lot with it. There is that. But they earned it. I mean, Listen, you know, who are we to say you can't do that? And, you know, so I'm, I'm torn because I do think, oh, gosh, you know, what if they use that so, money? See, that's socialist ethics. That's socialist ethics. Mm-hmm. I used to think that way up until like a year ago. I thought that way. I mean, in my city, the homeless are not starving. I live in a major metropolitan city. Mm-hmm. They're not starving. Mm-hmm. So. Use these kind of superficial examples where we penalize Branson and Musk and Bezos. I just don't think it's right. I think it's wrong. Well, because then other people don't want to become successful because they might be penalized. Or they or they blame them and saying, well, they they have a monop they've killed competition. Mm -hmm. There's no monopoly on a good idea. Mm -hmm. Maybe monopolies on getting into a certain market, but if you and yes, is it hard? See, when I was teaching college. I just not believe in giving those kids fairy tales. Mm-hmm. You know, I do not believe in appealing to their sense of deficit, their sense of inadequacy. I try to build equity in them about their ability to do what they what they desire, giving them reality. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's tough. Yes, it's unfair. Yes, it's unjust. Yes, it's going to be. But you know what? If you stay with it and you adjust and you network, you know, given all these different things, you can make it. Mm-hmm. And we see that all the time. I mean, that's the thing is we see people overcome whatever it was. Well, we have a lot of socialist ethics and I'm not, you know, I'm not, a, I'm, I'm not, a, I don't think I'm a hardcore capitalist. I've just recognized when you get out here as a small business owner and you leave the security of a job and you pay the price for the learning curve and another income and then trying to get one client and, you know, all that you go through. And then when I finally get to a place and you want to take it because some politician says, well, they can feed. Listen, you know mm-hmm. what? They can get fed because people still in the money. It's not mm-hmm. the, the right. get to the people. Mm-hmm. It's not that simple equation of if we took Musk's money and gave to the poor, mm-hmm. we'll still be world hunger. Right. 
Right. And, oh, and yeah. they, you know, there are many who would still choose to be homeless. I mean, you know, there's there, we, we hear about that all the time and, and yeah, you know, we can't, it, it, it is tricky because, you know, I'm sure that some of that money could be used for the good. And for oh, those who are listening, I'm putting it in my little air quotes. Do they but, give them? Mm-hmm. Let's use, do those, are those guys philanthropic? Mm-hmm. Do they, I don't know, do they give? Yeah, I know. That's the thing. We never hear about what they give. They, you know, Bill Gates would be probably one of the the rare. But even at that, we don't now, actually uh, uh, Bezos's ex-wife, you know, she's been very yeah. public with right. you know talking about how much she gives. But but yeah, you know, we we have no idea, really, besides what we might hear on social media about what those people might do. I mean, for all we know, they they do twice as much philanthropic efforts as, you know, the, the, whatever, you know, or even just, you know, I look at the people who buy the $2 million mansions. I'm like, really $2 million. And you got how many bathrooms? And then my first thought is you got to clean them. Not really. Mm-hmm. You know? And then I remember, Oh yeah, you could hire that done. But, but I do, I think, Oh, what would you do with the $2 million? Couldn't, you know, they earned it, but again, they might have, maybe they bought five habitat for humanity homes. I mean, you know, we don't know all the ins and outs. Well, we appeal to the we appeal to the prejudices of people. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it I don't, I mean, I guess I'm not rich yet. Okay, I'm gonna be, but I just don't think if I pay the price, I know the price I paid mm-hmm. and I'm paying to be where I'm going. And I'm gonna be very generous, but I'm saying I'm tired of the cultural conversation, even in jobs, or when you are better than the person beside you, so you must be cheating. When I was in corporate, my boss said, Joel, listen. They'll listen to your phone calls from home office in, you know, in Pennsylvania because they don't believe that you can do this much. Yep. And I'm thinking, really? Mm-hmm. So you're telling me that this is what they believe. They want you to excel. But and they don't they, trust you to excel. They think you're yeah. mm-hmm. So I'm saying we have to create a seat. For me, Deb, it's about, I use this phrase, great leaders, great organizations, they embrace their capacity for immensity, expansion, and transformation. People can do more than what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And to the degree that I have an atmosphere and structures and systems and processes in place to support their capacity for immensity, if I don't believe they have that capacity, they're just going to do their job. So it still goes back to me, what do I believe about people and what do I believe about myself? Right. If I, I can do better, or maybe I think I'm special. You know, I went to Harvard. Not that I did, but I went to Harvard mm-hmm. and I had a degree. So, you know, I can see why I'm like that, but I can expect that of them. Mm-hmm. So now you're being deferential. You're being, you know, you're being dismissive. Mm-hmm. Great leaders in this economy that's going to prosper, organizations that's going to thrive, are going to have to change their personal and their organizational narrative mm-hmm. to tell a new story about where they want to go. Right. We just live out stories. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, oh my gosh, Joel, this is fascinating. I we could go on forever. This is why I set a timer. But speaking of that, how do leaders work with you in order to take those steps? You can reach me at drjoelbryant.webs.com. That's drjoelbryant.webs.com or email me at joel at joelbryant1.com. Perfect. I love it. And, you know, you've got your books. What other services do you provide? 
Um, I also do ghostwriting. I actually work with a couple of authors. Now I'm ghostwriting one book and then I'm helping another person publish. So I also do, I have a small press. I publish books. Mm-hmm. I ghostwrite. So anything when it comes to written communication, mm-hmm. that's my mastery. I love I, it. I've 30 years to master the written and spoken word. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just curious, fiction, nonfiction? Nonfiction. I don't, okay. not nonfiction. Uh, my thing's about transformation. Okay. You know, how do we become who we are? I call it, how, how do we fulfill that childhood vow, the mm-hmm. vow of greatness? When I grow up, I'm going to be. Mm-hmm. And, and if we don't, if we're not fulfilling that vow, I haven't grown up yet because why? I'm not what I said it's going to become. So I'm still an adolescent. because I, I know. It's like it. I said earlier, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. And why do I have to decide now? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I love it. I love it. Well, this has been a great discussion. Um, you know, and, and, and I think that it's, as, as I said, it's been, very appropriate because we're at the start of this new year. You know, people are thinking about what's going on. Um, you know, and and you know, and and I I did have the opportunity to to look briefly through your book, which again is called "The New Being: Preparing for the Emergence of a New Humanity," Volume One. Because you've got Volume Two. Is it done already? Yeah, yeah. Volume One. Uh, volume One looks at uh, race, politics, religion. Um, Yes, religion. That was it. Mm-hmm. And then in volume two, I look at education, economics, morality, and then language. Ooh. Those affects how they affect what we call human nature, mm-hmm. then how that affects our social systems. So that's I love it. I love it. Well, we'll have to have you back on so we can talk about that one because you know it, it is. It's you know it's it is all tied together, but it's all you know in. I hate to say in our heads, but it is, it's in our heads. Um, and, and it's in our soul. It's in our heart. It's in, you know, whatever it is, um, you know, and, and, and we just have to embrace it. Um, and I think that's, yes, we said at the very start, one of the hard things, because that's really scary sometimes. Yeah. But you know, for me, Deb, this is my personal thing. I don't put, I don't prescribe my personal philosophy. I'm just too old to be scared. Mm-hmm. Too, Doesn't too get you anywhere. Let me say this. I'm too old to let fear defraud me of what I intend. Do I have emotions? Of course. Mm-hmm. I'm, tell you something, I'm going to die one day. Mm-hmm. There's something great people. When I'm talking about now, I'm talking about another level. I'm not talking about somebody just run a company. I'm talking about protect the world. Mm-hmm. You have to embrace your mortality because mm-hmm. that's the, that's the biggest end. Right. So I have lived under the shape of my mortality my entire life. Mm-hmm. And that's so-called people's biggest fear. So any immediate fear, it's irrelevant, especially now, this is like some of your listeners in the fourth quarter of their lives. Mm-hmm. You're still using fear as an excuse. Mm-hmm. No, baby. This is the age of impossibility. Whatever right. you can do, you can do it. Mm-hmm. Right. I love it. Well, you know what? Normally I ask for final thoughts, but I think that's a great final thought. That's it. <laughs> that's final thoughts. So we, we can't top that. Um, so I am Deb Creer. I've been having an absolutely fascinating discussion with Dr. Joel Bryant. I can't wait to do it again. But until then, everyone have a great day. Tune in for our next program for even more trends, best practices, and techniques for how to make your business a success. The Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer, is proud to be part of the C-Suite Network. 
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.